Last week, we concluded our On the Other Side vision series, and uh, throughout this week, I've really kind of felt this one topic keep coming up and keep coming up, and on Monday night, we, we met with a few of our leaders that kind of lead some of the different teams within our church, and, and today, I really felt like I wanted to bring an, an expanded uh, version of, of what I talked to them about, so I kind of have to set that up for you so we all get on the same page. Um, Earlier this year, my family and I were on vacation up in the mountains, and this was one of those vacations that the planning of it kind of came together very last minute, but it, it just was one of those vacations that hit. Like, it felt like everything was about how we wanted it to be. Everything was feeling good. We loved the place we were staying, and and I don't know about you guys, but we live near the beach, and so anytime we have an opportunity to go somewhere, we go to the mountains, we always try to get to the mountains because we see the beach so often. And so we were up in the mountains of North Carolina, and we got an Airbnb. And this place was kind of surrounded by trees. You literally could not really see anything out, and it could not be seen from the road. And every single night that we were there, every single evening that we were there, we would sit out on the porch. We would have a fire. We would roast marshmallows. We would do all the things that you do when you're in a cabin in the mountains. And, and every single night, these big, dark clouds would roll in and the wind would blow and it would thunder and it would lightning and you just knew that it was about to rain, but it would never rain. It never rained. Every single night, these clouds would roll in and we thought for sure tonight is going to be the night that we're going to get drenched. Our plans are going to get rained out and it never happened. And my grandparents live in that same area of where we were vacationing. And so we we went and visited them one day and and they were very close by. And so we were at their house in the evening and the same exact thing happened. We're sitting at their house and and the clouds roll in and it thunders and it lightnings and the trees are blowing, the wind is blowing, but no rain. And my my grandfather, who in his retirement is now a farmer, he he made the comment that, that this weather they've been having is just such a tease because they need the rain for their crops to grow. They need the rain. They have to have the rain, and yet the wind keeps blowing, and the, and the clouds keep rolling through, and the thunder keeps coming, but there's never any rain. And, and I was reading in the scriptures while we were there, and actually one of the nights that we were there, I, I came across this verse in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14. It says, like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts, never given. As clouds with and wind with no rain is one who boasts of gifts that are never given. And I think there are clear implications there for, for giving the gifts that you have, that every single person is created with unique gifts and unique talents that they should use in their life, that they should use for the people and the good of the people around them. But as I begin to pray about this and and as I begin to think about this concept, I also think that there is this deeper reality for the church which is that one of the greatest dangers for the church is to be all cloud and no rain. That we are all cloud but no rain. We, we are a place where people think they will get what they need, but they actually do not ever receive what they came for. And as I, as I think about this idea of, of the rain within the church, there is no doubt in my mind, I am convinced that the thing that people need most when they encounter us as followers of Jesus is to experience the presence of God, to experience the presence of God, and, and that we never want to be a place where people come, but they don't actually get what they need. See, the idea that my grandfather was getting at is they could plant all the crops they wanted to. They could fertilize all they wanted to, but without rain, there was never growth. 
Without rain, there would never be growth. And I think that is the danger within our own lives as followers of Jesus and in our lives as a church is that, is that we, would, we would plant and we would fertilize and we would do everything that we could do, but we would never actually receive the rain that is needed to produce growth, that we would never actually experience his presence in a way that brings growth into our lives. So you can take all of the knowledge and all of the experience that you have as a follower of Jesus, but without the presence of God, it will never grow into what he has called you to grow into. It will never grow into what he has called you to grow into. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where there's just confusion around who the leader is in a moment, Uh, Maybe you've gathered a group of people or maybe you've worked a job like this where it just feels like no one is in charge, that that nobody knows who the leader is. Nobody knows where to turn when they have a problem or or perhaps there is a leader in place, but there begins to be some distrust among that leader that there's something where people are saying, no, they don't really deserve to be the leader. And, And there's some confusion around this idea of who is in charge, who is the leader, And this is why all throughout history that that transfers of power have had such pomp and circumstances and and ceremony surrounding them. Because it's not just a celebration of a transfer of power. It, It is making clear who is in charge in a given nation, a given government, a given position. It is making clear who is in charge. Because when you don't know who the leader in a situation is, suddenly there becomes to be confusion and distrust and 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 breaking in the ranks. And there's this moment in scripture where where Moses and Aaron are are leading the children of Israel, and they have been God's appointed leaders to, to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness and into the promised land. But there begins to be some dissension in the ranks because things are not really looking how they expected them to look. Things are not turning out how they expected them to turn out. And so people are saying, well, maybe the leadership is the problem. Maybe they were actually not called to be the leaders of these people. Maybe they were not intended to be the leaders of these people. And so God comes up with this idea that he tells Moses to go and gather 12 rods from each of the leaders of the different 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, you're going to gather their rods. What that means is basically they have staffs that the leader of their tribe would carry to signify that they were the leader of that tribe that they were the one in charge of that tribe. He says, I want you to take all 12 of those staffs and I want you to place them before the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God. He says, I want you to place them in the presence of God and to remind you who I have chosen to be your leader. The one whose staff buds, in other words, it it gets a a little branch on it. The one whose staff buds, he is the leader of my people. He is the one I have set aside to lead my people. And it says in Numbers chapter 17, verse 8, The next day, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. See, the way you can distinguish the leader leader in the... Excuse me. The way you can distinguish a leader is what happens to them when they are exposed to the presence of God. What happens when you are exposed to the presence of God? Because when you are in the presence of God, it should bring growth. It should bring growth. And I want to give you three reasons that I believe that we desperately need the presence of God, not just within our church, but within our culture today. 
Number one is that the presence of God, we say this all the time at Harbor if you've been around, the presence of God distinguishes the people of God. The presence of God distinguishes the people of God. Moses said, if you put uh, the, the staff that buds, the staff that is set apart, that will distinguish who I have called to be my leader. In Exodus 33, verse 14, it says, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here, for who will know that we are your people? unless by your presence. So basically what Moses is saying in that moment is we can actually even be stepping into the reality in the future that you have for us. But even that is not clear enough to distinguish us as your people. We must also have your presence. The presence of God distinguishes the people of God. Number two, the presence of God accelerates growth. It accelerates growth. The reign of God's presence accelerates growth. If you notice, even among Aaron's rod, what should have taken months actually happened overnight. What should have taken months to sprout and to bud and to grow and to produce fruit took only a short amount of time when it should have taken months. See, I think that there's, there's, there's no coincidence that Aaron was from the house of Levi, and the Levites were known as the worshipers. The Levites were the ones who spent the most time preparing and getting ready for the presence of God to come and dwell among them. And what God was saying in this moment is the ones who spend time in my presence, their life should produce fruit. That their life should actually bring forth fruit. It should not come out of my presence dry like it was. It should not come out of my presence dry, producing nothing like it was. It should come out of my presence producing fruit. Time spent in the presence of God should produce fruit. John 15, 5, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, what, what I think is so convicting about this verse is I've heard people, well-meaning people say things before like, well, you can do so much on your own, but, but with God, you can do so much more than you could ever imagine. But what Jesus says here is not with God, you can do more. He says without God, you can do nothing. That without the presence of God in your life, not only can you do, will you do less, you will actually do nothing that advances the kingdom of God. That if you do not remain in me, that you will do nothing. And that is the great danger in our lives today. It's the one who remains in his presence that produces his fruit. And see, the one who does not The one who chooses to not remain in his presence is like that cloud that brings no rain. Number three, the presence of God reveals our condition and God's power. It reveals our condition and God's power. In Numbers chapter 17, the end of that story goes on to say that the Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Law to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. The Israelites said to Moses, we will die. We are lost. We are all lost. Anyone who even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. Are we going to die? I don't know if you caught this at the end, but they thought they were going to die. 
Because at this moment where they realized the power of God and what it produced in a moment produced a fear in them because they understood their condition. They understood their condition that when, it, when, it held, when it's held up to the presence of God, that they revealed their condition and the power of God in that moment. I think we need a, a, a returning to the presence of God so that we can experience the power of God. It's only in the presence of God that it is revealed within us what needs to change. That in the presence of God, what is revealed in us is what needs to change and what needs to grow. See, because what God did in that moment is he said, Aaron's staff, Aaron's staff who comes from the household of the people who are committed to my presence, the people that are committed to worshiping me, the people who are committed to spending time with me, that needs to grow because that will produce good fruit. Notice that none of the other rods did anything. None of the other rods did anything. And that is my fear as we gather as a church is that maybe we will come together in the presence of God. Maybe we will all come together in the presence of God, but there will be those of us who leave unchanged. We need to be people who are submitted to the presence of God in such a way that when we come into his presence, we allow it to reveal what needs to change within us under the power of God so that we can, so that we can produce fruit. And when we talk about the presence of God there, there can be some level of confusion because we know that God is omnipresent. And really, that is just a word that means God is everywhere. And in fact, what the word really means is that God is fully everywhere. And that is hard to understand because you would think that God would be here in one way and there in another. But, but what it's saying is that God is fully everywhere. But the Bible is also clear that, that though God is everywhere— that there are moments and there are places where God is also uniquely present. That God's presence it, it comes in a unique way. We see this in the Garden of Eden. We see it in the temple. We see it in the tabernacle. We see it on Mount Sinai. And so the question for us is how do we come become a place that hosts the unique presence of God and a people that carry the presence of God in such a way that it produces fruit in our lives? in such a way that it produces what God wants to do in our lives. See, the question really is, how do we bring the rain? How do we become clouds that bring the rain? And that's difficult because you can't make it rain, not in the sense that I'm talking about. You can't make water come from the sky. You can't force it to rain. But, but, as I begin to look into this concept, as far back as the 1800s, scientists were trying to figure out how they could actually produce rain. Because if you could produce rain, if you could control where and when it would rain, it would solve all kinds of problems. You would never have a shortage of crops. You would never have crops that were scorched by heat. You could even change the times of harvest because you could control the rain. And they've never fully been able to, to actually harness this power in, in a way that is extremely, extremely effective. But what they did learn is that though you cannot force it to rain at any given time, you can do something called seeding the clouds. You can seed the clouds for rain. And, and the way they would do this is they would fly planes up into clouds and they would, they would drop dry ice. They would drop chemicals that would actually cause the clouds to grow and the clouds to get larger and the clouds to get heavier so that they would rain. 
And they had another method where from the ground they would burn this certain chemical that went up into the atmosphere and, and caused the clouds to get larger and caused the clouds to rain. They would seed the clouds. In other words, they would create an atmosphere. They would, they would release something into the atmosphere that made the conditions right for it to rain. And this is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. This is our responsibility of leaders. This is why Aaron's rod budded. It's because, it's because God was saying, listen, the house of Levi, the worshipers who welcome my presence, that is an atmosphere. They are releasing an atmosphere that can bring the rain. And so the question becomes, not can we make it rain, but what can we release into the atmosphere that would make the condition right to experience the unique power and presence of God. And it, it brings us to this, this moment in scripture where the nation of Israel had been experiencing a drought for three and a half years. It had not rained for three and a half years. They were, they were desperate for rain. And the reason it hadn't rained is because God spoke to their king and basically said, because you have set up idols in your nation, because you have turned to idols, it's, it's not going to rain. There will be no rain in your land. There will be a drought. If you are feeling spiritually dry, if you are in a place of spiritual drought, check your life for idols. And idol is simply anything that you have placed your trust in that only God can provide for. Any area of your life that you have elevated your trust above God's ability to provide for you is an idol in your life. And basically the reason that God said I'm going to send a drought is not because God is mean and not because he wanted them to experience a drought, but because he wanted to remind them that he was their source. He wanted to remind them that, that you may think you can provide in all of these different areas of your life, but never forget, I am the one that sends the rain. Never forget that without my hand on your life, you have nothing. And so it has not rained for three and a half years. And there's this prophet named Elijah. And there's this moment where basically God tells Elijah, it's time to begin to pray for rain. It's time to begin to believe for rain. And I think when it comes to this idea of what can we do to, to seed the clouds, what can we do to release into the atmosphere, what can we release into the atmosphere that, that, would, that would make it conducive for rain, I think we see this in the life of Elijah in this moment. And I think that it's never been more important for us to know and to press into what these things are because we live in a culture that is living in a spiritual drought. We live in a time where our, our independence and our individualism has led us into spiritual drought because we think that in every way we can provide for ourselves. We think that we do not need God in our lives. And this is the exact moment that the nation was in. And so in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 41, it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on Ahab and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Now, what I want you to see in this moment is the things that Elijah released into the atmosphere that ultimately produced the rain. And number one is faith. Elijah released faith into the atmosphere. It says that Elijah heard the sound of heavy rain. You see, sometimes there are moments where you have to get a word from God before you ever see the results of it. That that Elijah heard the sound of heavy rain before there was any evidence of rain. Elijah heard the sound of rain before he saw any rain clouds. Elijah heard the sound of heavy rain and he had faith. But, but he didn't just have faith for a moment. He had faith that persevered in the face of uncertainty. He had faith that persevered even when he did not know if what he was praying for was going to come to pass. It says seven times he said to his helper, go back, go back. Six times there was nothing to see. Six times there was nothing to report. And seven times he said, go back. See, faith is what makes you keep going back when what you see would stop you. Yeah, I think so many times when, when we send someone, say, go, go look for the cloud, go look for the rain, and they come back and they say, there's nothing, I'm done, I'm through, that's it. Obviously, it didn't work, I'll move on. I'll try to figure out my own way to water. I'll try to figure out my own way to grow. I'll try to take matters into my own hand because clearly it didn't work. But Elijah had a faith that persevered even in the face of circumstances that did not point to what he was praying for. And we have to be a people of faith. See, Elijah was not concerned that he was not seeing the clouds because he had already heard the rain. And there is power in having a word from God to hold on to. There is power in having heard from God on something that you are praying for, that you are believing for. There is a power in holding on to the word of God. There's something about hearing a word from God that will keep you believing even when you don't see what you're believing for. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Evidence of things not yet seen. See, Elijah understood that just because it was not yet seen didn't mean it was not going to be seen because he had heard the sound of the heavy rain. He had heard what was coming in his future. He had heard what God had for that nation harbor must be a place and we must be a people that release faith for what God has said, even when it's not yet seen. That we hold on to what God has spoken, even when it is not seen. That we are the people that when it is not seen, we don't stop. We say, go back, go back and look again. Go back and look again, go back and look again because we may not see it yet, but I've already heard the sound of the heavy rain. I've already heard the sound of people set free. I've already heard the sound of growth. I've already heard the sound of my son or my daughter coming back to him. I've already seen and heard the sound of my marriage restored. I've already heard the sound. So keep going back because I have the word of the Lord to hold on to. I've already heard the sound. So we keep going back. Number two is that Elijah released prayer into the atmosphere. It says that he went up to Mount Carmel 
bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees, that he put his face between his knees and prayed to God. See, I think sometimes we, we take God at his word, but we don't keep joining God in praying for that thing to happen. That maybe God speaks to us on a certain issue. Maybe we're believing God for a certain issue, but we don't actually keep praying about it. We don't actually keep joining in prayer. See, Elijah knew that until he saw the rain, until he saw what he had heard, his role was to keep his face between his knees to the ground praying. That his role was to keep his face on the ground, contending for God in prayer. I love that it says, that, Eli- that Ahab went, and eat, went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Elijah was set apart. It says Ahab went to eat and drink. Basically, a- Ahab went to celebrate the future. Ahab went to celebrate what was coming. Ahab went to celebrate the end of the drought. Ahab went to celebrate that it was going to rain. But Elijah, Elijah still had a role to play. Elijah had to be set apart. Elijah couldn't immediately jump to the celebration. Elijah had to remain on his face in prayer until the rain came. And I think for so many of us, we quit praying too early. We quit holding on too early. Some of you have been praying on one thing for a very long time and you've gotten tired, you've gotten weary, you haven't seen the answer, but can I just encourage you? If you have heard that sound, keep praying to see it. Keep praying to see what God spoke to you about. He was committed to prayer. See, at Harbor, we we say that we are committed to prayer. It's one of our core values. And there is a difference between praying and being committed to prayer. There is a reason that we use that wording. It's not because we don't want to be a church that prays. We want to be a church that is committed to prayer. Because when you're committed to prayer, it is plan A. It is plan A. It is the thing that you are relying on. It is the thing that you are holding on to. We are committed to prayer, whether we're seeing the evidence or not. And that's what Elijah does in this moment. And then number three, Elijah releases preparation into the atmosphere. He prepares. Listen, in verse 44, it says, So Elijah said, Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. He says, hitch up your chariot before the rain stops you. In other words, prepare for what is coming. Get ready for what is coming. Go go ahead and prepare your chariot as though it's raining because it's gonna rain so hard that you're not gonna be able to do it once it starts. That, That you need to get ready in advance for what God wants to do that you need to go ahead and begin to orient your life as though it's raining. See, some of us get so used to living in drought that we orient our lives around the drought. We orient the way that we're living around what our current circumstances tell us. We orient our life around lack. We orient our life around dysfunction. We orient our life around strife. We orient our life around our current circumstances. But what Elijah says in this moment is, Ahab, right now there's a drought. Right now we're lacking food. Right now we're having all of the problems associated with drought. But go and hitch up your chariot. Begin to orient your life around a land that is full of rain. 
Begin to orient your life around a land that is flourishing because the rain is coming. Uh, We understand this concept because just a few weeks ago, so many of us spent days and hours and invested money in, in preparing for what was coming, in readying our homes and our our property and our possessions for what was coming. See, there's something about knowing what's coming that will push you into preparation. And that's what Elijah is saying in, to Ahab in this moment is that you have to prepare for what is coming. Last week, there were so many properties and so many people within the church whose homes were having problems or their trees were down. They couldn't access their homes because their driveways were blocked. There were all these things. And we were, we were sending teams to go and to take care of all these different areas. And we were, we were kind of looking at everybody else's issues. And it wasn't until late Friday, I actually thought like, oh, I should drive by the church building and make sure it's there. <laughs> and so I drove up here and and, and it, was, it was a mess. It was, everything was fine. There was no damage, but there were, there were trees down back in the back and there were limbs in the parking lot and you really couldn't even use this entrance and there were leaves everywhere and it was just kind of, kind of a disaster. And there was part of me that was like, man, I do not want to be the one to clean this up. I do not want to be, we have so much going on. We have so much to do. Like maybe we don't even need to clean this up. And so I did what renters do first and I contacted the landlord. And I was like, hey, I drove by and it's pretty bad. Like, what are we thinking? We're going to clean this up? And they're like, not, it, we don't have any plans to do it just yet. You know, it's, we, we don't think we're going to get to it before the weekend. And I was like, all right. So I was, I was thinking, I was like, man, I guess, you know, it's really not, like people will understand. Like everybody knows, everybody knows the week we've just been through. People will understand if the property is a mess. People will understand if there's, leaves everywhere, if the porch is covered in twigs and sticks and leaves and trash, like people will, people will understand. But then I remembered that we are a church that prepares for what God wants to do. And if I'm really honest, I was like, honestly, no one's going to be here Sunday. We have so many people out of power. We have so many people displaced. Like probably no one's even really going to be here. So we'll just let this one slide. And so Friday I went home, went to sleep. And then Saturday, I just could not shake the feeling. This is not our culture. This is not who God has called us to be. We are a place that prepares for what God wants us to do. It doesn't matter if we rent the building. It doesn't matter if we own the building. Because it's not about the building. It's about who we're preparing for. And we're preparing for God to meet with people. We're preparing for you to walk into this place and to be able to, to experience the presence of God. And so we got up here with a team of people and we started blowing off the porch and we were up on the roof. Ramiro, like real sketchily, got me up and down from the roof. And we were up there throwing branches down and, and throwing leaves off. And, and, and as we were doing this, I looked around and I saw all the people of Harbor Church cleaning up this facility. And I said, this is our culture. This is who we are. That we're a people that prepares for what God wants to do. That we are the people who say, listen, it doesn't look like things are going to be great this week. It doesn't look like we should expect much from this week. But we're going to prepare and we're going to expect as though God is going to move And we had an incredible last weekend. It was one of the biggest weekends of the year so far. We had an amazing time in God's presence. And I was just reminded all weekend that so often you get what you prepare for. 
that you get what you make room for. And we have to be a church that fills the atmosphere with faith and with prayer and with preparation so that God can do what he's come to do. I, one of my favorite pastors, Banning Leapshire, said a couple weeks ago, he said, preparation is an act of faith. Preparation is an act of faith. Preparation is an act of saying, God, I believe what you've said. And so I'm going to begin to orient my life around what you've said. Verse 45 and 46, it says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on Ahab as he rode to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. See, when the presence of God comes, the power of God will accelerate you to where you are going. The power of God can get you to where you are going faster than you could ever get there on your own, faster than you could ever make time on your own. The presence and the power of God will accelerate you into the place that he wants you to be, and we want to be a place that releases faith, that releases prayer, and that prepares for what God wants to do. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and stand to your feet with me this morning?